0: would you pray for our time in the Word?
1: Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity (coughs) to come together this morning and just celebrate you and hear from you, God, worship you, Lord. Father, we are so honored for the privilege that we have to do that. And may we never take it for granted, Lord. Father, as we Come into this week of Thanksgiving, God, and maybe um, not just be thankful this time of year, but remember to have hearts of gratitude, God, because you commanded us to, God. You commanded us to be grateful, God. So we are grateful. We're grateful for you, Lord. We're grateful for each other, God. And we're grateful um, for so many things, Lord. And,
2: yes, you know, Lord.
1: Father, that it's not things that happen are, are not just coincidence, God. It happens because of your hand of provision in our lives, God, we are so humbled because of that, Lord. In your name, amen. Yeah.
3: see mm-hmm.
0: called us to, to repentance. You've called us to, to return to our first love. I thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, that you are faithful to complete that which you had begun in us. I thank you, Father, that in your word you declare that you've seen songs of deliverance over us I pray O God that our heart would not be hardened but that father that we would sense you drawing us to your presence calling us to be holy as you are holy calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you that those who are in Christ have been born again of a new nature. I thank you, Father, that you have adopted us and engrafted us into your family, into your kingdom, given us sonship, given us the right to call you Abba, Daddy. So Father, as we gather this morning, as we come to open up your word, I pray, O God, that our hearts would be of good soil. I pray that your word would take root, begin to produce lasting fruit. I pray, God, that we would understand the hour that is at hand. And that, Lord, we would be about your business, your kingdom. Living our lives, God, for your glory. For your honor. So, Lord, have your way among us, Father, I pray. pray that we would not be distracted this morning that we be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. So we come to sit at your feet, Lord, to hear from you. Encourage us, strengthen us, heal us, deliver us, Lord. And we give you all the praise and honor in Jesus' name. Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be misled, the justice of God will not be mocked, or you cannot mock the justice of God. You are going to harvest what you plant. So how are we living? What are we putting our hands to? What are we setting our gaze upon? Where are we allowing our feet to lead us? What are we allowing to come from our mouth? We have to be attentive to how we're living. We're either sowing seeds of righteousness or unrighteousness. And whatever we're sowing, we will reap back upon us. We will harvest what we plant. And oh, how I pray that we have been planting seeds of righteousness. And if not, oh, how I pray that we would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing us in. Remember, it's not God stiff-arming us. It's us stiff-arming God. Because when we stiff-arm Him, when we declare that we will live how we want to live, be moved by our desires to allow sin to master us, then we are actually saying, as we're stiff-arming God, you're not God, I am. And oh, how I pray that we realize. Oh, how I pray we realize that we are not to remain rebellious towards a holy God, a good God. Because remember, in God, there is no error. In God, we understand that He is good, He is just. He's full of grace, He's full of mercy, He's full of love. But we also know that in the end, as He is coming and returning to gather those who belong to Him, his wrath will fall upon the unjust. And oh, how I pray that we would be awakened to realize that we were not meant for his wrath, but we were meant for his love. You know, this Christian life, this life in Christ can be lived, not in our of our own self, but as we are dependent upon him who has called us out. And as we have been reborn of a new nature. That is the nature in which we are now to mature in and to grow in. So Norman's is going to come and share with us and encourage us this day, and I pray that as she scatters the seed, that we would receive it and be encouraged.
2: Good morning, everyone. So, Carrie, would you be able to? We're gonna. She's gonna be reading from Luke nineteen one ten.
4: This is Luke 19 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement. and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor lord and i have che- and if i have cheated people on their taxes i will give them back four times as much jesus responded salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost thank
2: you carrie mm-hmm. so i have five questions for us So i was meditating last week in this passage. so the first one is Are you like Zacchaeus right now? You know, it's beautiful to see how uh, this man was short. um, And Jesus was just passing through the city, you know, Jericho. And so this man wanted to see Jesus. So I'm assuming that he heard about all the miracles, everything that he has done. So he wanted to see him. And he he, he was running, getting to the, the tree. So, my question for us today is Are you like Zacchaeus right now, running after Jesus, overcoming every obstacle, every opposition to get close to him? Uh, The second question for us is Are you excited to see Jesus? Zacchaeus, when he heard about the Jesus he was passing through, he was so excited, so joyful, he wanted to see him. He he didn't care that he was sure that he couldn't, so he tr- he got into the tree and he was expecting to see Jesus. So when he finally saw him, so he was so happy. So are we happy uh, to, to see Jesus? Are we happy to, to be here today, for example? Uh, are you excited? My third question is, are you excited to know that the creator of the whole universe, would speak to us today this morning um, like Zacchaeus he was so excited that Jesus noticed it you know so um, are you hungry and thirst for Jesus that's my fourth question uh, and um, the, ne- the next question is are you like Zacchaeus willing to be restored uh, uh, willing to be restored before the Father uh, and the last question it was six questions uh, are you willing to do what is needed in your life, whatever it is the cost to follow Jesus? And like I always end up, say that, it's, yes, he's worthy uh, to follow him. But like Zacchaeus, he, he, he was like, he, when he saw Jesus, he was so happy. that G- I, I, I put myself in that situation. And imagine you, Jesus is walking through the crowd. And all of a sudden, saw, Zacchaeus caught his attention. Hmm. And of course he's in 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 the tree, but not only that, that. He I'm assuming, and I'm more than sure that Jesus saw his Simon. You know, he was so happy to see Jesus. So Jesus immediately said, you know, calm down. I want to be and I want to be with you and your home today. So, so I, I, I'm thinking to myself, wow, that Jesus can see me so joyful, mm-hmm. no matter what is my situation, no matter what is my circumstances, that he will say. I want to be with you. i want to, I want to pour all my spirit on you I want to use you even through your difficult situation i want to, I want to I use you as my vessel like like he did with Sakia and and I love that even though the people were so jealous and mad because Sakia was a tax collector and uh, but Sakia recognized this is the beauty about it that Saki reco- Zacchaeus. that's how you say his mm-hmm. name yeah Zakiya, he recognized what he has done that he had done, because he was a task collector, I'm assuming that he probably charged people more, and all that kind of stuff, right, but he recognized something beautiful about Jesus, and immediately he repented, that's so beautiful, you know, he yeah. he immediately said, you know what, this is what I have done, I will give money to those who have took money, you know what I'm saying, so he immediately recognized his, his mistake, and, and I love when he says, "Um, look, I will give half of my possession to the poor, Lord, and I have, Started anything for if I have started anything for anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Mm. He didn't say only once, no, I'm gonna pay four times as much. So he recognizes his his weakness, he recognizes his his sin, and he immediately says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay off back, you know, I'm gonna restore everything that I have stolen. So that's beautiful. Um, and um, so. I love that Jesus decided to spend that day with him or I don't know if he stayed overnight or whatever but the beauty is that Jesus decided to to restore this man back to the Father and that's what he says at the end today salvation has come to this house Jesus told him because he too is the son of Abraham uh, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost so that's right there he, Jesus knew that this man he was lost but he saw that he wanted to see Jesus, he recognized that Jesus was something else. It wasn't just a normal person, so he wanted to be uh, get his attention, He got his attention and salvation came to him because you know he, he, he repented of his sin. So um, so as I was meditating, this is what I John 6:35:40 says, "I am the breath of life." Jesus told them, "No one come to me." I, I'm sorry. No one who comes to me will be will will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will be thirsty again. Are you thirsty? Uh, we are thirsty of Jesus. Uh, we want. Are we hunger? Uh, we decide. We decide more of like 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 this morning when we got up this morning that we thought about God. You know, the God of heaven is gonna speak to me through His vessel uh, to His servant. Um, so are we excited because of that? Um, and he says, "Here, but as I told you, you have you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone, everyone the Father gave me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, do not to do my my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose no one." none of those who he has given me but should raise them up the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who see the son and believe in him will have eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day so my encouragement oh at least that's my what god was speaking to my heart Just said to to be expecting from him that there we you know that I'm excited when I'm come to this fellowship, that I'm excited when I'm with him alone on my room or whatever I'm at. So that I'm excited to hear from him when I decided to open my Bible and read. That I'm expecting him to speak to me through his word, you know, so so my encouragement is for all of us is that we will be excited that, that we will be like this man. It doesn't matter what is the obstacle that we can have in our daily life, but that we will expect from to hear from Him, no matter what is our own personal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank, you. Amen. Thank you. And I love, again, as we see in Scripture, that Zacchaeus' life was changed. Yes. And he wasn't even told. Jesus didn't tell him, this is what you have to do. Yeah. He just knew that in and of himself, That he has been living unrighteously. He's been living in sin. He's been living and he's been stealing. He's recognized the sin in his heart and in his life. And in that encounter with Jesus, he was forever changed. Forever changed. Because he recognized it. And he says, Lord, I want to follow you and I know that in following you I need to live right I need to be restored not only do am I to be restored but I need to restore those that I have wounded and hurt his life changed again he was a wicked man he was a tax collector he was a notorious tax collector he was well known But God, but God changed his life by an encounter with Jesus. Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. Because we know that the world already stands condemned. And apart from Christ, they will remain condemned. And oh, how I pray that we as those who are in Christ understand the task that is at hand, that we are called into the harvest fields to go forth and proclaim the gospel, to live the gospel out so that others' lives can be impacted with truth. Because we know from the Word of God that it's the truth that sets people free. Amen? All right, so let's go to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11 through chapter 12. Joshua and the Israelites are moving through the promised land. (laughs) Waging war as the Lord is leading them to take the land in which the Lord has promised. So we pick up today when King Jabin of Hazor heard what happened. He sent messages to the following kings: King of Joab of Medan, the king of Shemron, the king of Asaph, all the kings of the northern hill country, the kings in the Jordan Valley, south of Galilee, the kings in the Galilean foothills, the kings of Nathador on the west, the kings of Canaan, both east and west, the kings of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Phezorites, the Jebusites in the hill country and the Hivites in the towns on the slopes of Mount Hermon in the land of Mizpah. All these kings came out to fight. Their combined armies formed a vast horde. And with all their horses and chariots, they covered the landscape like the sand on the seashore. So so don't miss this, you all. Highlight, underline, verse 4. All the kings came out to fight. Their combined armies formed a vast horde, and with all their horses and chariots, they covered the landscape like the sand on the seashore. The kings joined forces and established their camp around the water near Merom to fight against Israel. What a scene as we open up the word of God this morning. It was the vast armies. a Huge.
3: Huge.
0: If you just looked and gazed out, it looked like it was a, a war like none other. Israel, as they looked upon their enemy could have been discouraged. But I praise God that they didn't look upon their enemy with their eyes. They looked upon the God who has sent them into the promised land. And it's a lesson that we can learn yet again through the word of God. Yet though the enemy may look like he has the upper hand, God is greater. And God is good. God has called us for such a time as this. And I keep encouraging us that as we get up every single day, if there is breath in our bodies, we have a purpose. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: We have a purpose to stand up for God, we have a purpose to live out our destiny, not in and of our own desires. But in the new man, in the new woman who has been birthed, who has been reborn through the Holy Spirit. By calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus and being saved. We can get up each and every single, each and every single morning with hope in our heart. No matter how discouraged we may be. No matter how sick we may be, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how vast the armies look, oh, we better look up. We better know who has called us for such a time as this. To encourage ourselves, to remain steadfast and firmly rooted in Christ. He is victorious, He is risen from the grave, He's not still in the grave. He's not still on the cross. No, He has been resurrected. He has defeated sin and death. He is victorious. And He calls us out to send us in to be light bearers. To be instruments and vessels of righteousness. To declare the kingdom of God. And the hope that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. These were a vast armies. Look how it is described. With all their horses and chariots, they covered the landscape like the sand on the seashore. Do you get this visual of what Israel had to see? Then in verse 6. Oh, highlight this. Circle it. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. By this time tomorrow, I, who, God, will hand all them over to Israel as dead men. Then you must cripple their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and all his fighting men traveled to the water near Miram. And attack suddenly, and the Lord, look at this, highlight this, circle this, and the Lord gave them victory over their enemies. The Israelites chased them as far as Greater Sidon and Misraba Mayim, and eastward into the Valley of Mispa until not one enemy warrior was left alive. Do you understand? The warfare that Israel had to engage in. Do you understand the the battle in which they had to endure? All because God was for them and not against them. God called them into battle. Listen, they entered the promised land. They entered the, the promise in which God spoke years before to their forefathers. It was not time to rest. It was not time just to settle in and to settle down. No, there was work to do. God was purging the land. God was getting rid of the filth. God was establishing them as His people. He sent them forth. And there was a vast armies that stood in their way look at the hope that's there. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. And oh, how I pray that we can be encouraged that no matter how darker the world may get, do not be afraid. Look up. If you are in Christ, you have hope. They attacked suddenly. And the Lord gave them victory. It says here in verse 10, I'm sorry, in verse 9, Then Joshua crippled the horses and burned all the chariots, as the Lord had instructed. Joshua then turned back and captured Hazor and killed its king. Hazor had one time been the capital of these kingdoms. The Israelites completely destroyed every living thing in the city, leaving no survivors. Not a single person was spared. And then Joshua burned the city. Joshua slaughtered all the other kings and their people, completely destroying them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But the Israelites did not burn any of the towns built on the mounds except Hazor, which Joshua burned. And the Israelites took all the plunder and livestock of the ravaged towns for themselves, but they killed all the people, leaving no survivors, as the Lord had commanded his servant Moses. So Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did as he was told, carefully obeying all the commands that the Lord had given to Moses. And that's another scripture to highlight, to underline. Joshua did as he was told, carefully obeying all the commands of the Lord. Obedience, that is what the life that we are called to in Christ, to obey The call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up the cross, and to follow him. Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them before he ascends up into heaven to go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of his commands. Jesus even says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not obey what what I have instructed you to do? See, we can't be loose in our relationship with Jesus. We're either for him or we're against him. There's no gray area. I know we, as, as flesh, as humans, we like to live in the gray area, but that's not pleasing to God. God is holy. God is just. God is right. He hasn't changed who He is. He's the same as He was then, as He is now, and as He will be, and continue to be. He's God. And He calls us into a life of obedience. And as we obey, we receive the fullness of what He has for us. That's the good news. And so when you're seeing this, and I keep telling you, a lot of people read the Old Testament. And they put all this weirdness on God. I've done it. We blame God for everything. Oh, how can a loving God do this? And how can a loving God do that? And I've encouraged you, as I've had to encourage myself, I've had to come to a place where I now can honestly say, how could he not? If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be loving. (laughs) These people in in whom they slaughtered, they were wicked people. They would have never turned to Christ. They would have never turned to God. They would have never come to the saving knowledge of God, the, the God of Israel. They were wicked. They were unjust. They were for themselves. They had all these idols before them. They perverted the land. And God knew them. See, we can't forget. God knows our hearts. He knows if we are for Him or we're against Him. He knows what we are desiring and whom we are desiring. Like He is to be our all in all. He is to be the one in whom we look to, that we serve, that we love wholeheartedly, It's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. It's the first and greatest commandment. Are we following it? Do you love Him? Do you know Him? Are you obeying Him? These people were wicked. They were wicked. And God had to purge their filth from the land in which he was turning over to his people and do we remember all along what God was telling Israel remain in me I'm your God serve me and serve me alone if you do as I've instructed I will bless you and the generations that will come from you will be blessed but if you turn from me. And they heard it over and over and over. And we're seeing through the book of Joshua that obedience, not only in Joshua's life, but in the people of Israel. At this time, in this season, of their purpose, they were obeying. And they were reaping the rewards of obedience. Are you reaping the rewards of obedience. You ought to be. You ought to be. But we will soon see as we keep turning these pages, Israel will eventually turn from God. The God who is leading them through these battles, miraculously giving them incredible victory in their life, doesn't sustain them because they look out and they see what the other nations have they see them living loose lives and surely God wouldn't mind if we just did a little what we want to do surely God wouldn't mind and they became deceived and they fell into the plan that the enemy designed for them to destroy them. Remember, John 10:10, 10, 10, it's the thief that comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. That which is being presented to you may look right in that moment. But don't live your life to be satisfied for the moment. <laughs> live a life that is satisfied for eternity. So when things are presented to you, you can weigh the option. Is it really worth it? Is this really honoring God? Am I truly obeying God? Am I sowing to my flesh or am I sowing to my spirit? What would it profit if a man gains everything? Remember that two weeks ago when we were together, I asked you all, do you think about your soul? Do you ever just go through the day and think, how, how am I doing? <laughs> like am I guarding what I've been entrusted with? Or am I living a loose life? Just falling prey to the temporal things of this earth that in the end are going to burn up. So either we're truly working, I mean not working, either we're truly living for Christ, Or we're not. And God knows our hearts. It's that visual that we get when we read Scripture where Jesus' ministry was flourishing. Thousands of people were following Him. They were hungry for all that He was doing for them. And even then, He served them. He loved them. He had compassion on them. And all the time He knew that they didn't love Him he knew that they would turn from him. And I go, wow. You see, as, his, as he began to transition his ministry to the truth of what, who he is and what he's come to do, when he tells them, I am the bread of life, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Do you remember the multitude of people, the Bible calls them his disciples, these people who were following him remember what they said ah this is too hard what is he saying and so they began to have doubt within them actually they were being exposed for their motives of coming to Christ they were there just for selfish reasons selfish reasons So when finally the call was laid out, when their hearts were exposed, what did they do? The Bible says they turned and went back. And Jesus stood there and watched them go. And I've always said, and you've heard me say it over the years, if I was writing the Bible, that's where I would have wrote Jesus wept. (laughs) But he didn't weep. He stood there. He knew them. And he watched them leave. And as I've always said, Scripture doesn't say he ran ahead of them and pleaded with them, please don't go, please don't go. I'll dumb my message down to make it more easy for you. No, he didn't do that. He stood there and watched them leave. Watched them leave. And then he looked at the twelve. Even Judas that he knew would eventually betray him. He looked at all of them and said, Are you going too? And their response, Where can we go? For you hold the words of eternal life. Judas heard those words. Judas saw the multitude leave. And yet, Judas hung there. And he eventually hung. (laughs) He betrayed the Lord all along. He wasn't among Christ. For Christ, he was there for himself. Purpose to betray the Son of God. Oh, how's our heart this day, you all? The reality, especially in the day and age in which we're living... I can't keep stressing it to us. Like, are you feasting off the Word of God? Are you abiding in His presence? Are you calling upon Him? Are you depending upon Him to complete the work He has begun in you? Because it's only getting darker. And it's not a tactic to scare people to Jesus, it's just reality. I mean, even the lost, even people who aren't in church, they see, they recognize, like something is shifting in the world. They recognize it. Chaos, darkness, disease, (laughs) deception, perversion, everything is running them up. Strife, anger, division. You see it. At the levels like we've never seen it before on the earth. Oh, it's always been here. But nothing like we're witnessing. We are a generation witnessing prophetic times. But oh, if we're at the church, do we understand the responsibility that we have in this hour and the days to come? Biblical Christianity, especially in the West. Because it's really kind of not happening overseas. Because there's God is moving and God is raising up people and biblical Christianity is being taught and preached over there but they are being slaughtered over here in the west. Biblical Christianity is going to keep getting pushback and pushback And driven back. As deception, perversion, strife, division, everything else is rising up. Because biblical Christianity will never hold hands with darkness. And we're going to have a false gospel as it's already spread through the earth, be spread even further. And the so-called churches will be the ones preaching it. I'm telling you, you better wake up. You better know who he is, and you better be in his word. It's been an interesting week or so. Your mind and your heart will always be bombarded with lies and deception. The enemy is not going to sit back and just let you be a Christian. He's going to come at you with everything that He has. Oh, but you better know the Word of God. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in this world. You better know that you know whom you say you belong to. And you better know that you know as you're being discipled, as you're growing in the Word, that you're learning how to dress for battle each and every single day and to use the sword you've been given. Darkness... There's no joke this vast army armies <laughs> it's no joke it is a spiritual battle this is a spiritual way of living it's not about coming to church hearing little principles that I can apply to make my life better now that's not what Christianity is it is never meant to be that way I know that's what we like to turn it out to be, but that's not Christianity. Christianity are those who have been born again, <laughs> who have been is now empowered by the Spirit of God, who has a heart desire to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their body, with all their strength, and they live to obey Him. They understand what the church is. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ in whom we are now engrafted into. And we all have a part to play, to be. That's why I always tell you, you must be a healthy member of the body of Christ. If not, you're stunting the body. You have to know who he is and who you are. You have to be developed, you have to be groomed, you have to be discipled. You have to be able to move in this. Because we understand the urgency of the hour. As I received word this week of a, of an old friend from high school passed away. My heart was heavy. And I've kind of been in a funk since hearing this report. And after I heard it, and after I read, and after I went back and I began to... To look and see kind of where he's been in his life, and, and I was recalling memories. Like, I have to be honest, I, my heart was, was challenged. How can God be good? I had to get up and literally go sit outside and just breathe and go, Oh, and, and even being sick, I, I, my body was already worn down, and my, my mind was racing, and my heart was unsettled. And I had to question out of my mouth, "God, how is this right? How are you good in the midst of this?" And all these accusations begin to fill my heart and my mind against God. And a still small voice just spoke to my heart. And there's no error found. In God. I had to remember. I had to remember. I had to recall truth from the word of God. I had to be able to be able to be able to get up and stand and begin to address everything that was addressing me. See, the Bible says that we are to take thoughts captive. And bring them into the obedience of his lordship. You let thoughts run you, and you'll turn from God. Because the Bible says, How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. I had to recall the truth that was within me, that I am rooted and grounded in. And I had to look upon Christ, not upon these accusations against him. And oh, how I had to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I questioned you. Oh, God, forgive me for allowing that door to open. God, you are good. You are right. You are just. You are full of mercy, full of grace. You are pleased to reveal yourself to people Through your son Jesus, and if they refuse to come to you, that's not on you. That's on them. That is on them. And it just fueled my my desire to even preach even more. And how can how God can I be used to even get out into the city, into the The county and to the states and to the world. God, just use me to share your truth. That others would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And listen, not everyone's coming to Jesus. (laughs) Not everyone's coming to Jesus, you all. We're even told that in Scripture. We see that through Scripture. And so God is just and God is right when He allows people to experience His wrath. Because they have refused Him. They have denied Him. They would rather live for themselves and for their glory than to turn to a God. Who loves them who has created them who is pleased to reveal himself to them and if they refuse him they will spend an eternity <laughs> like i don't know if you really grasp it like an eternity in hell not because god sent them there it's because they chose to go because they did not come to Christ. I was recalling as I was thinking through and kind of going through this moment about what we read a couple of weeks ago about Lazarus and, and the poor guy and the poor man, how they both died. Lazarus goes to, to, to the lake of fire burning, to the place of torment, and then he looks. And he sees the poor guy, the sick man, with laying with Abraham, comforted. And he, and he says, "Hey, you know, send him back to my family." He he was so and this was, he was so overwhelmed that he knew where his final resting place was to be, separated for all time from God. And he said, Father Abraham, send him back to my family. Tell them. And do you remember the parable as Jesus said? No. Because even if I sent him back, they wouldn't believe. Even someone raised from the dead. As a Christian, when your eyes are open, it's not because you've done anything. Because God is pleased to reveal Himself to you, and then when you see Jesus for truly who He is, you die to yourself. As Zacchaeus, as Norma said earlier, born again, I'm living right now. Not because I determine what is right, but because God has determined what is right. I am born of a new nature. I'm not perfect. But I'm obeying. God used me, filled me afresh and anew. Like you just move forward. Remember, the Christian life is a life that is maturing. It's not, you're not striving to be perfect, but you should be maturing because you understand your purpose now. It's to love the Lord your God with your very being, to love others as you love yourself. To share the good news. To offer hope to people. No matter how dark it keeps getting. No matter how biblical Christianity keeps being pushed back. We keep pressing on. And we will be looked upon as those who are causing issues in society. We will be looked upon as people who are not preaching love but preaching hate. We will be looked upon as people who need to be silenced darkness wants to rule and to reign but we must remember the enemy in his tactics is not of anything of his own doing he has been given full reign over this earth by God by God he knows his time is near And so he is just going to continue to pour out his fury and try to silence the bride. He couldn't keep our groom down. And he will not keep us down. So that's why we can rise up each day with hope. That's why we can look at darkness and say, no. That's why we can go forth and be the light. Hate me all you want. Persecute me. Threatened to kill me and to take my life but I will not deny Christ I will live for Christ and this is the hope that we draw out of the Old Testament we can look through the eyes of a new creation and as we read the Old Testament we can be encouraged that our God is good and that our God is just And that our God is great. I mean, look at what he is doing here. And we see them again in a season of obedience. Verse 16, so Joshua conquered the entire region, the hill country, the entire Negev, the whole area around the town of Goshen, the western foothills, the Jordan Valley, the mountains of Israel, and the Galilean foothills. The Israelite territory now extended all the way from Mount Helak, which leads up to Seir in, in the south, as far as north as Belgad, at the foot of the Mount of Hermon in the valley of Lebanon. Joshua killed all the kings of these, those territories, waging war for as long, I'm sorry, for a time I'm sorry, for a long time to accomplish this. No one in this region made peace with the Israelites, except the Hevites of Gibeon. All the others were defeated, for the Lord hardened their hearts and caused them to fight the Israelites. So they were completely destroyed without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. During this period, Joshua destroyed all the descendants of Anak who lived in the hill country of Hebron, Deber, Anab, and the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. He killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. None of the descendants of Anak were left in all the land of Israel, though some still remained in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So Joshua took control of the entire land, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. He gave it to the people of Israel as their special possession, dividing the land among the tribes. And I love this last line. So the land... Finally had rest for more. There was a season of rest that came upon the nation. And so it is with our own lives. There are seasons in which you are in battle. And that battle can blast for long it needs to last. But there's also times of rest. Like you have to be able to discern as you're growing and as you're maturing as a Christian. You have to be able to discern the seasons in which you're in. Seasons come and seasons go. But no matter what it is, whether you're at war or you're at peace, you should still be maturing. Don't lose sight of who God is. Sometimes you're on in the valley. <laughs> Sometimes you're on the mountaintop. But it doesn't matter where your feet are, are placed or what season or circumstances that are going on in your life. Keep your eyes fixed upon Him, obey Him. We understand, Scripture tells us, trials have to come. We have to be able to endure what is set before us, so that within us, they they build us up, they mature us, so that we will persevere. And in perseverance, it builds our character, this new nature, this new man, this new woman in Christ. And so as we're persevering, as our character is being built, hope is being established. And that hope is in Christ, and in that hope in Christ will never bring disappointment. So if you're disappointed today with life or with circumstances, where's your hope in Christ? You must remind yourself. It's good to hear a preacher, but you've got to be the preacher you got to preach yourself happy. you got to preach yourself in obedience. You start straying, you should start praying, and you should start preaching to yourself. <clears throat> Abiding in Christ. Jesus says, apart from me you could do nothing. So remain in me. Abide in me. So when you're going through, that's the point you're going through perseverance, endurance, must finish its work so that you are complete, not lacking anything. That's what Scripture says. But the majority of so-called Christians, they don't even know Scripture. They may know some here and there, but unfortunately they've twisted it to satisfy their own longings. And that's not a Christ-filled life. And so we're talking about people's eternity And that's why I've always encouraged you, don't be so obsessed with the temporalness of their life or the temporalness of how people are living more than you are about their eternity. See, we excuse, oh, I'm not going to say anything. Oh, they're just going to think I'm this. And we have all these excuses why we don't uphold a standard of righteousness. And all along, people are dying and going to hell. People are engaged with their temporalness and their desires, and complete rebellion towards God. And we're saying nothing, no, because I don't want to offend. I, I really, yeah, we have all these excuses, and it's not easy. Trust me, I've shared with you over the years. There's been times and seasons in my life that I'm like, God, I don't want this. this. Is this is this is discouraging? This is hard, God. I'm tired of being looked like I'm the crazy one. Like God, you know you, I can I can come up with all these excuses. Like, oh god, I don't want to say anything else. But then I remind myself, wait, Rob, do you genuinely care about their eternity? And then I'm reminded I'm reminded, I remind myself what Christ did for me. Like, if it wasn't for Christ, remember, I would be dead and burning for eternity. Like, tormented for eternity. It's like, when you realize what you've been saved from, when you realize the hope that you have, when you realize the good news of the gospel, no, you want to share it. You don't have to go out and hit people over the head with the Bible. You don't have to go out and, and, you know, do crazy stuff. Just live it. Just share it. Just let people see that there's something different about you. Because you just live it. People will be drawn to you. The majority of of, of the the ministry that we have here is that's not with the few that come here. It's the lives that I minister to out there. Are you ministering? Because we're all called to do it. All of you. If you said you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, the Bible says that you're a minister of reconciliation. We all have different gifts, but we all have the same ministry. Point others to Jesus. Just live your life. And that's why, I, that's why I scratch my head when I, when I see that people aren't interested in being discipled. I just come to church. But it's not just about coming to church. It's about being discipled. It's about growing and maturing in the word of God and allowing it to transform you by changing the way you think by learning how to apply the Word of God. The Bible warns us, just don't be a hearer of the Word of God, be a doer. In fact, my devotional readings over the past couple of weeks, the the, the subject is all the warnings that are in Scripture. The warnings that that people hear the teaching and the preaching of, of Christ, and yet their hearts are hardened. They don't want to come to Christ and I go wow they come seeking for their own and then when they hear that ah, no and I go wow so understand when you get up each and every single day as a Christian like there is a battle that's facing you and if you're not dressed If you don't know that you know that you know who He is, you can be swept away. But oh, how I pray that you would know that you know that you know who He is and that who you are in Him, that you have the hope of eternity, that you have the assurance of salvation, that you understand the Bible says that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That God himself is within you. And that you are to walk by faith and not by sight. That you are to walk in step with the spirit of God. So that you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. That your longings and your desires, you begin to see a shift. From the temporal, from the natural, to the eternal. And that you understand that this is a life that is lived. Filled with joy. Filled with hope. Again, no matter your circumstances. See, your circumstances do not dictate how much joy and hope you have. We have to get to that understanding. No, you have joy and hope because of Christ. Not because of, of oh, this is better, or look how this worked out for me, or or this, or that, and, and we're seeking... No, it's good to receive the blessings of God and God will tend and care for his people but we better understand if that's how we're measuring our Christian life listen it's very clear in the Bible the just and the unjust the rain fall upon the wicked will prosper in fact remember the psalm we read a few weeks ago and the psalmist was like oh look how they're prospering But do not get distracted by the temporalness of life. And oh, how I praise God for as I'm reading through Joshua and I'm seeing this season of prosperity among Israel. But oh, how then as I turn pages and I know what's ahead, I go, oh God, let that not be me. Let that not be us. Like we have this season of of a desire, and we know God is doing something among us, and God is revealing Himself and showing Himself, and there's a longing for Him, but there's something ahead that you're going to face that's going to challenge your love for God. And oh, how I pray that we would be steadfast, immovable rooted down in christ and saying no that's not worth it no (laughs) he makes the way out of every temptation my god is for me and not against me and that you can be because you've been discipled because you've been maturing because you've been growing you can start recalling all that he is (laughs) all of his attributes everything about him that you know him intimately Do you know God intimately? Oh, how I pray you do. Chapter 12. These are the kings, I mean, these are the kings east of the Jordan River who had been killed by the Israelites and whose land was taken. Their territory extended from the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon and included all the land east of the Jordan Valley. King Shion of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, was defeated. His kingdom included Eor on the edge of the Arnon Gorge and extended far from the middle of the Arnon Gorge to the Jabbok River, which serves as a border for the Ammonites. The territory included the southern half of the territory of Gilead. Shion also controlled the Jordan Valley and regions to the east, from as far north as the Sea of Galilee to as far south as the Dead Sea, including the road to Beth Ejeshma, and southward to the slopes of Pisgah. King Og of Bashan, the last of the Rephites, lived Astor of Edri. He ruled a territory stretching far from Mount Hermon to Salka, to the north and, all, and to all of Bashan in the east and westward, to the borders of the kingdoms of Geshur, and Makkah. This territory included the northern half of Gilead, as far as the boundary of King Shion of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people, I'm sorry, and the Israelites had destroyed the people of King Shion and King Og, and Moses gave their land as possession to the tribes of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The following lists I'm sorry, the following is a list of the kings that Joshua and the Israelite armies defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Bel-Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halek, which leads up to Seir. Joshua gave this land to the tribes of Israel as their possessions, including the hill country and the western foothills, the Jordan Valley, the mountain slopes, the Judean wilderness, and the Negev. The people who lived in this region were the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Phariseites. Berizzites, and the Hevites and the Jebusites. These are the kings Israel defeated, and from verses 9 all the way down to 24, they list all those kings. And it concludes chapter 12, in all, 31 kings were defeated. A great victory came because of their obedience. Oh, come on, you all. We're living in troublesome times. But we must live as under Christ. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 37 is where we're heading. But we must live as under Christ. Remember, if you're a Christian, Luke 17, <clears throat> let me get there first. If you are a Christian, you have stated, you have a faith and you have a confession. That Jesus is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. Understand that. Understand how that belief and that confession is to impact your life. And it's not something that you say, oh, because I say it or I believe it. No, you heart-filled believe. It has been revealed to you. It's nothing in and of yourself. Understand this. It doesn't say that you become a Christian, that you're born again. When you stop doing what you're doing, when you clean yourself up, no, it doesn't say that. But that's the lie of the enemy that keeps people from truth. It makes it about us. He always comes in to deceive us and to turn it around on us. That's how he works. Oh, but you understand the tactics of your enemy. He comes to deceive. He comes to, to kill and to steal. But Jesus comes to give life. Jesus already knows how the condition that we're born into. That's why the Bible tells us that he loved us, yet we were in complete rebellion towards him. He didn't come for us because he knew there was anything good in us. No, he came because out of his love for us. And in that love, He transforms us. When the Bible says that God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. So when we see Jesus for truly who He is, we can't help but surrender. It's not a force surrendered. It's a beautiful picture of submission. And we're not submitting because we're forced. We're not submitting because we want to manipulate God to give us what, he, how, what we want. No, we're in full submission because of the love that is displayed to us. The goodness of our God to not leave us in the condition in which we were in. But the goodness of God to come, to redeem us, to save us. And we've lived this life in complete rebellion towards Him. And yet He comes for us. And in coming for us, He reveals Himself to us. He serves us. He loves us. He took our punishment for us. And then what is the requirements? Come to me, my beloved receive all that I have for you. And we fight against that. In and of ourselves, we listen to the lies of the enemy, we listen to the desire, the rebellious nature within us, and we say, no, no, we slap his hand away from us, and we say, no, 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 you're not God, you're not God, I don't want your love. This is foolish, it doesn't even fit right, living in this world. I don't want to be known as a a troublemaker, as one of those weird Christians. And we make all the excuses to live how we want to live. And then we think, because we show up for church, that when we take our last breath and we stand before him, that somehow now he's obligated to take us in. Oh no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. No, you will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Like I've revealed myself to you over and over and over. But you chose you. You chose the temporalness of life. You chose rebellion over love. And so for that, I give you exactly what you wanted. Eternity without me. just let that sink in, you all. Is that really? And why do you think people look at Christianity or the church and they go, ah? Because there's so many people gathering. There's so many people calling themselves Christians. But they have no life within them. Oh, they may say Jesus here and Jesus there. They may post something. They may this or they may that. But there's no life in them. And how sad. The friend I was telling you about earlier, in his life, it was the Christians. It was his Christian parents who destroyed him. And I remember as a young kid, when all that was going on, I was hardening even more towards Christians and towards Christ. I hated what was done to him. And I remember the anger that I felt towards the church Towards Christians, towards Jesus. Because the church got caught up in the traditions of man in order to deal with people's sexual desires. And for four years, this young boy was locked up in an institution. electric shock therapies with ungodly horrible horrible conditions he had to live through it's no it's almost like he was in a Nazi camp I found all this out years later when I ran into him because one day he was there and the next day he was gone where did he go and then as I sat down I heard what he had to endure and I saw the emptiness of his eyes and of his soul. I wasn't a Christian then. I said, God. I didn't say God then. I said, God, now.
3: Like Oh, God.
0: And they were Christians who did this to him. They weren't Christians. They weren't Christians. Because Christians know the only way transformation comes is from repentance. And you can't force anyone to repent. People have a right to live and breathe and do whatever they want. They have a right to live and do and breathe whatever they want. As Christians, we just go forth into the world and declare the good news. I cannot force someone to come to Christ to change the way they think, to change their desires. I couldn't even do that for myself. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can take a a, a man craved and burdened with so much and set him free as he can do with women and children and anyone else. That would just come to him and by faith believe upon him that he is the Son of God and that he's risen from the dead. You see, that belief and that confession should alter who you are because the Bible says if you truly believe that and if that is truly your confession, then you are born again of a new nature and now you are to grow in it. There's obstacles, there's challenges because that old man, that old woman, that old nature, oh, it's still there and it likes to rear its ugly head, but you have constantly have to put it to death. You, you gain the victory in Christ daily as He strengthens you. And that's why I always encourage you all if you're not seeing growth in your Christian walk and in your Christian faith, it's not God, it's something with you something with you, you have got to get real. You have got to get raw. You have got to get transparent. You have got to come out and stand before the living God naked. <laughs> Feeling the weight of your sin and the weight of your rebellion and allowing him to take it and to clothe you with his righteousness with his robe like i've got you but god this no 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 Shh, settle yourself i've got you i mean there's no greater love than this you all no greater love than when you have the presence of god when he wraps his arms around you and settles your 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 chaos your chaotic mind your 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 hunger and your desires and he says I've got you. I'm enough. Oh, I remember the days when I was jacked up in a corner. Just, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. In hell, and the torment that I was under. All I could say is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I didn't have a church family. I didn't have people around me to encourage me. Oh, how I long for it.
3: I just said, Jesus.
0: Jesus. God, I believe. That's all I had to say. God, I believe and I confess. God, I believe and I confess. Some of you just need to start there and wrestle it all out. Trust in him that he is good, that he is real. This isn't just some, some, you know, kumbaya story. Oh, just another. No, this is real. This is real. This is the living word of God. Governments are trying to snatch it out of people's hands. It's not even being preached in churches. People are just getting a hyped up message and sending them right out into war with no armor. And then they wonder why, oh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. I don't doubt people struggle. But your struggle should not be defining you. You can recognize, yeah, the other day when I went outside, it was a struggle. Like, oh, God. But then, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. (laughs) I see you, enemy. I see you, flesh. Oh, no, wait a minute. Then you just gotta gird yourself up. Oh, I know who God is. (laughs) I know what God has done. Because I believe. And I have confessed. He is the Son of God, and that He rose from the grave. And because He rose from the grave, everything that has defined me, everything that the enemy can throw at me, has been defeated. Not because, oh, I've changed, and look how good I am now. No, no, no. No, it's because all that He has done. Because He's God. Oh, we got to know our God, you all. Luke chapter... 17, verse 11 through 37. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood (laughs) at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now understand this. Tradition back then, when a leper was cleansed, they had to go to the priest for the priest to confirm that they'd been cleansed. Because leprosy was a horrible disease. In fact, you had leprosy, you were set out. You weren't allowed to have communion with the community. Oh, you were part of the leper community, but you weren't part of the community. Like you were shunned, you were put out. These ten leopards cried out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so he looked at them and says, Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, and I love their obedience, (coughs) they were still sick when they were heading to the priest. Jesus didn't heal them right away. It was as they went. Oh, Underline that, circle that. Some of us want it here and now. But what Christ is desiring for you is that you would just obey, then receive. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. All of a sudden, as they're obeying, they began to be healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Understand, remember the Samaritans, they were the you talk talking about discrimination? They were discriminated at their times. They were half-breeds. <laughs> Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And the Bible is very clear to remind us who this man was. Only one returned, thanking Jesus, worshipping Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this, look at this, foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Oh, praise God. Listen, there's, within the body of Christ, (laughs) there's more of the nine than the one. And that is so sad. That ought not to be. People come to Christ. They have a revelation. They go to church. (laughs) I want to know God. You know, I want to know Jesus. And okay, you know, what am I to do? And they do it. And as their life has been began progressing. They don't remain with Jesus. (laughs) They just go their way. Oh, don't be like the nine, you all. Be the one who recognizes that Jesus is healing them, working through them, drawing them closer and closer into intimate fellowship with Him and come back and remain at His feet. Worship Him. Give Him glory. Give Him honor. Thank Him. For all that he is doing and will continue to do in your life. You ought to have a heart of gratitude. You ought to see throughout your day the goodness of God. And you say, well, you don't know my life struggles. You don't know what I'm facing. I don't need to know your life struggles. I don't need to know what you're facing. You need to know your God. Because in the midst of your life struggles and what you're facing, God is present. Are you grateful? I remember years ago when the Holy Spirit had to check my heart. You're ungrateful. I said, Oh God, I am. And I'm sorry. Help me, Lord. Whatever is needed, God, I want to be grateful. See, so many times when we see the error in our lives or the sin in our lives, we think that we have to withdraw from God. Oh, we failed God. Oh, we failed the church. Oh, we failed. We're not a good Christian. (laughs) And we draw away. But do you see, again, the tactics of the enemy? If he shifts our focus on us, all that us is going to do is go from God. Because the us, the me, the I... We don't feel worthy. And so then we have all these assumptions of God. God's not pleased with me. God. And we, we, we start talking and then we do, then we pull away. We're out of church. We're not in fellowship with Christ. We're just doing what is living. We're just going to the wayside. And God all along is going, What are you doing? Where are you going? Don't you understand? I know that's you, but you are in me. Let me show you who you truly are. I've created you. I've purposed you. Not to be bound by by rebellion or lies or deception to death. No, you you are given eternal life through me. Live. Come to me. Come to me. So when you see your sin, when you see that you're lacking, don't pull away from God. Don't pull away from church. Run to God. Run into fellowship. That's what's been going on with churches. No one wants to share. Everyone's, oh, praise God, everything's good. Oh, everything's bad, but God is good. And You know, we say these little phrases, and and we pretend that everything is right when we know in and of ourselves our soul is troubled and our soul is darkened. We're allowing the enemy to have the rule and reign. Oh, the devil is a liar. We have got to know, especially in a day and age when the mind. I mean, do you see how crazy things are going? Gil and I were talking the other night, all these commercials, all these things, all these mental disorders, all this chaos and craziness. Like, I'm like, good God Almighty. People would just be established. Because even in the midst of uncertainty or doubt or panic or anxiety or whatever else tries to define us, if we could just have hope in Christ, that we would know him and be known by him, this Samaritan was known of Jesus says, you're healed. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Understand the Pharisees, they were the religious men of the day. I can't say that enough. They thought they knew God, and yet they did not know God at all. They taught the word of God, but yet instead of drawing people to God, they kept them at a distance. Because they wanted to remain in control. We want to run God's house. We are the men of God. We are the men of privilege. We are the men of honor. You will honor us for the knowledge that we know of God. (laughs) And yet they didn't even know God. Remember Jesus tells them, no, no, no. Your father is the devil. The devil's running the church. (laughs) The devil's running the church. And now they come to Jesus, not with a sincere heart, asking when will the kingdom of god come and jesus replied the kingdom of god can't be decide, detected by vi- i'm sorry the kingdom of god can't be detected by visible signs you won't be able to say here it is or it's over there for the kingdom of god is already among you <laughs> then he said to his disciples notice who he's shifting to and talking to now The time is coming when you long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. But you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man. Or here he is. But don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected By this generation. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered his boat. And the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business. Eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building. Until the morning Lot left Sodom. The fire and burning sulfur rain down from heaven and destroy them all. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling, oh God, listen to this, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the meal. One will be taken, and the other left. Where will this happen, Lord, the disciples asked. And Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate the end is near. Thousands of years ago. These words were spoken. But even before they were spoken, they had already been established, even before the earth was formed. God's plan, you all, is in place. And our unbelief and our doubts not stopping it. It is coming. And we are on the threshold of being a generation <laughs> being used by God Almighty to expand His kingdom because we have been given the right as children of God to honor God with how we live our lives. It's from the beginning, the kingdom of God. There's a longing within each created being Every man, every woman, every child. There is a longing to connect to something greater. God has placed that in us. God understands our nature. But he came to save us from ourselves. Ultimately save us from his wrath. We chose to go our own way. But God Comes to deliver us. And this is hope. As you read this, like this is hope for the the days that are ahead, the day that is now, and the eternity that we will reign and rule with Christ forever. And there's nothing on this temporal earth that can compare to it. You can choose to live however you want. You could choose to give over to the temporalness of this life. You could choose to be and do and say and live all that you want to be. But if you do not know Christ, if you're not a child of God, if you haven't died to the old and been born again, you will be the one who's left behind. Understand, And it's not because God is bad. No, it's because He's good. It's because He's good. And yet we have another day that we're hearing the Word of God. Every single one of us that is listening today, we have yet another opportunity to check our hearts. Are you loving Him? Not (laughs) this weird love. No, do you love Him? First commandment, to love the Lord your God. And it's nothing that you try to manipulate or to swap. To no, it's because you just, you love him because he first loved you. Because you've seen him for who he is and what he has done. Like, God, you did that for me? And you don't expect anything of me but just to return the love back to you? Just submit out of reverence and honor. To know that I'm sealed, that I don't have to be bound to this earth. Like, wow. That life then begins to have value, you all. See, your desires and your sin and everything that tries to define you, there really is no worth in it. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because you're constantly trying for more. I just need more, I just need more, I just need more. If I do this, I'm better if I do that. It's a constant work that enslaves us. But when you're in Christ and you've been born again, you already know the worth that is found, this treasure that is found, and nothing compares to it. So you wake up behind enemy lines, but yet you know you're valued because of Christ. Oh, there's a way to live, you all. Go to Psalm... Chapter 84. Or Psalm 84. I have this young man that I'm... Walking through... Truth... Sharing the gospel talking about Jesus and it's so encouraging because he's almost there (laughs) there's no forcing him there's no whatever just allowing him to, to, to work through what God is doing in his life and he's so hungry is that part of our fellowship but he's so hungry He's like and then when I get around you, like when I leave and when I think about the things that we've discussed over the week, like like something's happening in me. I just praise God for that. I just praise God for that. I uphold truth to him. And I tell him all the time like, listen, this isn't gonna sound right to you, because you're gonna want to give yourself to what you desire. But let me tell you what the Word of God says. Let me share with you the truth of God's Word. And don't take it because I'm saying it. No, I challenge you. Go ask God. Go seek Him on this. And now I hear Him talk about how God has brought Him forth from a porn addiction. And now He wants to honor His body before His wedding night. God only you can do that. He says, man, for years I, I I just I've been bound by shame and guilt and just torment, but yet it feels so good at that moment, but man after the deed is done like I'm I just feeling I said do you realize what that is the the Bible talks about that because really the the Bible talks about that I say yes, like God designed sex it's to be good, but it's to be. As God has designed it between a husband and a wife. Everything that God has designed, the enemy comes to distort and to pervert. But God. And I said, and that's the enemy's tactic that keeps people bound. As long as he can keep us bound with shame and guilt. He dangles it out in front of us. Whatever it may be. If it's not sexual, it's something else. The enemy is always constantly coming for us. And we just give in. But we know after the deed is done or whatever it is, like there's something empty. There's something that's unsettling. There's something that's just not right. And yet instead of turning to God, we go out to look for something else. Or someone else. We're just constantly searching to feel right. And all along, God is going, here I am. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. Don't slap my hand away from you any longer. Like you have to make a choice. And it's those little steps, it's those little things. And then finally our eyes are open and we just go, God, you're good. God, your love endures forever. You're merciful. You're so kind. You're slow to anger. God, you deliver me. God, you heal me. God, you you walk with me. I mean, that's what I'm asking you all. Like, do we know our God? Hmm. Psalm 84. Oh, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. Listen to the psalmist. I long, yes, I faint with longing, to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young. At a place near your altar, O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those... Listen to this whose strength comes from the Lord who have set their minds on pilgrimage to Jerusalem when they walk through the valley of weeping it will become a place of refreshing springs the autumn rains will clothe it with blessings they will continue to grow stronger and each one of them each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem O Lord, God of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob. O God, look with favor upon the king our shield. Show favor to the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will uphold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Oh, how I pray that you are trusting in God. And like this psalmist, you are longing to abide and to remain in his presence. Listen, this Christian life can be lived. The Bible says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. Our rebellion does not and should not continue to define us. We can recognize that it's there. But we do not give it a right. We have denied ourselves. We have picked up our cross. And we are to be following Jesus. Go to Proverbs 13. Two Nuggets of Wisdom Proverbs 13 verse 5 through 6 The godly hate lies The wicked cause shame and disgrace Godliness guards the path of the blameless but the evil are misled by sin I'm going to close this with this song and then I'll close this in prayer.